Hello and welcome to Infra Black Archive. We're back this time with proper microphones in a proper, not really studio environment, but you get what we mean. We're here to discuss the pinnacle of Chris Chibnall's career, the penultimate Chibnall story, but does it belong on the bottom of a seabed or should it become a legend among sea devils? Right, here to discuss this with me, to, as always, <laughs> is James Stevenson and I'm Owen Cranston. Hi, everyone. Uh, did you call this the pinnacle of Chris Schimble's career? No. Yes, I did. I don't know why. <laughs> I, I don't script things. I just go are you, with are it. Are you saying that the timeless children of the vanquishers are not as good as this? Right. Because, because those are hours of television that deserve to be the pinnacle of really any writer's career. So, I think doing it this way, because we did the preview of like uh, initial impressions in our world yesterday in your for listeners world a few, a few days, days ago. ago we've had a day now to think about this because normally when these podcasts when, when we're reviewing episodes as they air we do it on the night we do it there and then but we've now had 24 hours to think about it my views have changed on it have uh, yours I, I wouldn't say they've, they've changed because, because i I could see what the issues were before, but I think I was masking a bit in the heat of the moment because of how good... I thought the ending was good, and so that left me on a nice note, and I thought that the Centenary trailer was so good that that kind of made me into a hype state where I kind of didn't worry about the areas because I was in a good mood because of the Ace and the Teague and stuff. Now I've had 24 hours to actually come to it, I can see more clearly what, what the problems are with this thing. But that's but that's why we do these podcasts, and so we can go in and we can we can have a discussion about what works about this and what doesn't. And I sense what we're going to talk about is the same stuff we've been talking about on Flux and similar episodes. Right. I'm going to give this episode credit here. I am quite negative about this story, but let me be clear. It's better than most of Flux. I agree. It. I disagree with how they went about telling it. But there is story there, and it does make sense. I think the story is very much surface level. It's a complete waste of everyone's time. But it is still there. The story is... The worst I, way to describe the story is filler. I, I worked out the best way to describe this episode. Oh, you, in, oh, you in, worked in, out. In tune of the season. God. This story is an Easter egg. Oh, God. To the uninitiated, if you saw an Easter egg, you'd go, oh my God, look at that lovely ball of chocolate. It on the outside looks so good. But then as soon <laughs> as... an Easter egg and goes, what is this? Someone who's never seen an Easter egg before. But then, but then, but then you crack it open and you realise there's nothing inside. It's just, it's just hollow. It's all surface level. There's nothing there. And that is our Easter episode. The, the <laughs> it was a really long-winded way of saying it was a bit hollow. But but yes, it is a bit hollow. I think the story, like I was saying before, is, is filler in a bad way. But at the same time, I have to give it some credit because they know it's simple and they don't try and make it too complicated because I think Chibnall and the other writer of this episode, uh, Ella Road, who's never written for you before, understand that the main focus of this episode isn't really the story it's it's the thasmin stuff which is worth a long talk 
So the story doesn't get too complicated but that we lose though? sight of that. But is it though? Because I think that was the issue with I a lot of Moffat Who was that you'd have this it would be about the characters, but not really, because we would have such a complex story that you wouldn't have time to really focus on the character because you'd be whisked off two thousand bloody years to the next I, thing before you got the The chance. issue is it's too late in the game to be doing character pieces. Is it too late if in the this, game to be doing character pieces? <laughs> well, it's the penultimate series, so we want to be getting some closure here. Not opening up new wounds. I, I think yes and no, because... It's also a special... I feel like if this was the penultimate in an actual series, it would have been better... Mm. But since it's sort of set itself out as kind of like a special, we kind of want a big smashing story to smash in your face, which is good. This felt like a weak story yeah, with weak character stuff. You thought it was weak character stuff? It felt bolted on. Like the entirety of this story. Mm, yeah, you really have changed your view. This is going to be good, I think. I think there's going to be a lot of talk about here. So um, keep listening wherever you are and wherever you're listening to your podcasts at the moment because I think this is going to be fun. Where do you want to start diving deep into the sea, devils, with this? Shall we start off with the intro? Yeah, just, you just want to go through the episode kind of Shall scene by scene. Because the not, it's not too complicated, so we can go through it linearly. Um, I think they chose the wrong thing to start on. The devil stuff. And, and obviously the gem and this kind of awakening of the devil thing. Yes. Okay, why, why do you think that? And then I'll see what I think about it. I think this... What I'm going to say here is kind of the issue with this story. It always goes for the easiest route. Always. Oh, I'm going to stop you right there. And this is why. That is exactly right. That's that's exactly right. Like, like if we look at it this way here, the Doctor goes, oh no, someone's lost some treasure. Where would it be lost? Oh, I know. Let's go into the future and find it. Like, this is what I propose should have been done. The Doctor doesn't go to the past. We know that backstory because... It is a perfect cold open. Mm. The, all the stuff they go on for ship, they see for sea devils sort of like taking over the ship. That is an amazing cold open. Yeah, you could have had that at the start. Remove the Doctor and that stuff there. It's an amazing cold open. So this open. is just having Jihan and obviously and he's telling everyone to get off the ship. So you think it's a mutiny and you think it's him in league with the sea devils. And then you realise later that that's then, not that you thought cut, the wrong thing. Cut to titles. Yeah, we go then in. the Dottiaz arrive, and then they realise the city's being pillaged, or the village, or, or whatever. Or even if they just slid what is actually for cold open into the main story part. Yeah, they could have done that. Like, that's a... F- and then we kind of have it, the Doctor actually discovering the story of the ship, rather than just going back in time. Do you know what it does remind me of, that opening? And this is a throwback to one of the first things we ever talked about on Black Archive, actually. Mm. You remember when we discussed the formula of death in paradise? Yes. Where basically death in paradise always starts with a murder of just some random person. 
this is that that is that opening. <clears throat> that is the, the 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 absolute hackneyed cliched. We're just going to show the inciting incident, and then we're going to roll titles. Yeah. But there's no originality to it. it. It vaguely introduces the side characters without giving you anything much. Uh, uh, and it doesn't really talk anything about the sea devils. It just goes, look, a scary looking thing. That's out now. What will the doctor do? And it's just very rote. Yeah. It's it's a weird story looking back at it. Because I've rewatched half of it. I got hmm. distracted doing other things in life. So I couldn't be watching it all. I'm just sat there going like, that bit is pointless. That bit is pointless. Like, if you think, even if they kept it in the same order which they did, and they have the doctor to go back in time, none of the dialogue she said there was needed. Mm. That scene could have been two minutes. Yeah, she's a spectator to the scene, so she's not playing an active role. She's just there so we can watch it in a way that doesn't feel like a flashback, which means you can just do it as a flashback. And the best way to do that, like you said before, is do it as the cold open. Yeah, and she's just sat there going, that's not natural smoke. No shit! Yeah, it is. there is a lot of that, actually, now you bring it up. You feel like you get handheld through everything in this episode. There's no actual audience... Um, there's no sort of moment where the audience has to think on its act, think for itself about what's going on. It's all just given to you. It's dished. It's like baby food. It's like open wide, Owen. Here is your plot. Wham. And, and, and you eat it. Everyone oddly seems to know. Like, it, we're jumping all over the fucking shot here. I know. Let, just stay with my thought process here. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when we get... We, we get Dan and what's the kid's name? Oh, it was not. I do not believe it was actually said in the plot. I, I was constantly calling him the boy. I believe his name is 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 Ying Ki. That's what Wikipedia tells me. Right. So, and they go, and I seem to remember the dialogue going, something along the lines of this. There's no crew, crew here. Yes. I was just thinking that. It's like, clap, clap, there's two lines you've wasted. We can see there's no crew. Like, it could have even been done, like, one second. Where is everyone? Someone could have even just gone, this is a bit odd. It's a bit eerie, isn't it? And just like... And then they just start chucking in things for no reason, which, for all I can tell, is never resolved. Why is there a massive beast in the sea? Oh yeah, that's that is never resolved. That's just it, well, it's just a rip off of the Kraken from Pirates of the Caribbean, isn't it's, it? It's just a straight rip off of that, and it's like, oh, that's a sea devil. Just accept it. It's just there. Like we don't, oh, we don't even know whether it... know whether it's controlled by the sea. Like it's never actually made that clear. Like you have to assume it is because you know, take a leap, but you shouldn't have to take that leap. Isn't it bizarre that they spoon feature half the story and then they drop in this massive great Kraken? for no apparent reason, doesn't really play a role in the story other than to to eat this eat the TARDIS up for a sec. And then it's just never explained. You was, you said last in our airport sort of preview special. airport special, it feels like it's the pacing was very rushed. Yes, this is a point I very much still am thinking and probably worse now. But the thing is, it seems to be rushing between 
nothingness. Th- I that's said, why it feels even more rushed. I, I said I said during our recording when I was listening back to it, um, something along the lines of, um, it feels very short. It doesn't feel like we've got as much content as we would normally get with a Rusty Davis story. It's because it's all fluff. I said we've got good side characters. Do we? Like, what sets for Pirate Queen? Why are we using this real-life figure? For Pirate Queen, nothing relevant to the Pirate Queen is in there. Yeah, it's just that's a real pirate figure. And then we invent a story around her. Um, and then we also have we have the boy who exists to be a boy, as far as I'm concerned. And then he just gets looked after at the end. And then there's the Ji-hun guy who is admittedly cool and is a thirst trap. But other than that... Is not it's not a it's not like the characters have three dimensions, is it? it? They just kind of exist to do a role and nothing else. Like they do the role fine, but but beyond that, it's definitely not like like we've obviously. If you haven't listened to our podcast before, we go through the classic episodes, and we've been finding in a lot of the ones we've done recently, you get these really complex side characters. Like um, we've had a couple of Lethbridge Stewart lately, and Lethbridge Stewart's wonderful. Whenever you check in with him, yeah. So it's just it's just the complete opposite in the in the Chibnall Who world. So I realise it has just been 10 minutes of me just ranting. No, no, that's absolutely fine. This is why we're here. We're, we're having a conversation like this. So I'll start. I'll do some ranting to counterbalance yeah. it out. Yeah. I'll do some yeah. fun ranting. So like you were saying, um, it's Legend of the Sea Devils feeling rushed. The problem is, from a writing standpoint, is that ev- all of the information is given too quickly. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's so quick and it's so easy to get the information that, that half the story isn't the story and it just has to be padded out by the, the, the Thasmin stuff. And it's having to fill in because we're rushing, rushing, rushing. Like, if you think about the first 10 minutes of the episode, we have your two, three minute cold open thing. Now we've incited it and we're off. Doctor arrives, yada, yada. They have a laugh about Dan and his suit. Now a village has been, you know, sordid to death while that was going on. They get there, and they find out the stuff with the statue, and then they have this long exposition conversation where Madame Chang literally tells you all of the things you need to know in the plot, pretty much. Like, all of it. We're six minutes into the episode, and we know everything we're going to need to know. Yeah, everything is handed to you on the plaza. But- Just like, boom, here you go. Um, and, you know, even the boy knows everything about the duty, apart from what it's necessarily for. So everyone knows everything. Instead of the characters going out into the story and finding out the stuff, we just wait for characters to turn around and go, oh, that's a piece of information you might need. Let me tell you this incredibly detailed Wikipedia-style blog post entry about it instead instead of giving you an actual plot. Like, this was a big issue in Flux, where characters would just come out and just say stuff all of a sudden. Oh, that's why. We go, why haven't we gone and have a scene for that instead of you just telling me? It's like an into like a role playing game. You've got the NPC character, which gets, which yeah. is, you just walk, you just walk up to him and he goes, "Over on the hills, there is a wolf. That wolf kills my chickens. Please go create a barrier to save my chickens." <laughs> was that was that a real life encounter you had with an NPC that inspired that bit? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> To be fair, I think the NPC metaphor really does extend to a lot of these uh, side characters because they've got about as much going on as an NPC. And it's weird, like, you've got the bad guys or thing for sea devils, but they, they don't, don't do, do anything. anything. 
And also, I said the ending was good. This ending is very similar to another episode we've watched. Hmm. Tell us. It's one we haven't reviewed because it was before we started this podcast. How did the Timeless Children, the episode, end? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting your point. It's similar to that. <laughs> it's, there's, a, there's a big red button. The Doctor needs to push it to save the world. But, oh no, wait. A side character we don't really care that much about has rushed in. And he is going to press the button and save the world and sacrifice him. They do it. The Doctor runs off and goes, well, hey. Oh no, we lost this guy we don't really care about. James is frozen. We've lost James. Oh no. We actually lost James. We've lost James. Right. James is back. Um, how much of my rant did you hear? Barely any of it. Like it just it literally just cut and yeah, so I think we're gonna have to cut cut oh, back what? in where you were starting that, I'm afraid. What was I even ranting about? We were talking about the ending of the Timeless Children. Oh yeah, for Timeless Children. So do you remember how that how for Timeless Children ends? Not the arc, the episode. Yes, it ends with the, the big red button uh, and the Doctor's got to pick it. But then, like you said, like the side character arrives. Whee! And we're good. And, and the Doctor runs off and goes, Oh, no, look, we've lost our side our friend we've only just met. But don't, but don't worry. We can reflect. We can improve. <laughs> he sacrificed himself for a good cause. Well, hey. Doctor Who endings. Uh, this episode is so weird because it's got all the rights to be a good story. But it's the lazy it's the lazy handling of it. It takes good bit elements and uses them in the, the, the like get out of jail free way, like the easy route to securing the money way. It doesn't think creatively with them. And what you get is that the elements dished out as they are in the route that you would expect. Yeah. And there's just things in there which just don't... Its existence just doesn't make much sense. Like, we spent... Like, when they land in the seabed... Viasm Doctor... It's a beautiful moment. Yeah, that's actually lovely. I think it's well handled. Like, in, it's, in isolation. It's undercut... By just... Unneeded dialogue. Like... Don't open that, the water might flood in. But he has been with the Doctor for over two years at this point. Mm. She knows which you can go in space and, be, and yeah, so it doesn't why would get water sucked be out. any different? And we as the audience would just go, oh, it's Vidard, isn't it? Yeah, but we have to have this whole... It is just the Yaz asking stupid questions problem that we've had since day one and will never end. And Yaz will ask stupid questions up until the regeneration where she will be allowed to ask them, I guess. Yeah. Or she'll be dead. I, You know, either way. Yeah, it's a weird episode. Here's, here's a question. Outside of <laughs> the obvious Doctor and Yaz stuff, because we can talk about that later. Um, Dan Lewis... Do you remember Dan Lewis? Yes. He he travelled with the Doctor and Yaz for, for a small period of time and was also involved in... He was involved in a sort of homoerotic relationship with a dog <laughs> as well. 
<laughs> ring, ring any bells? Because I haven't seen him in a while. Yeah, he... Where's he gone? It's weird. Because he's got a right to be doing interesting stuff here. I think it's for needless splitting off and for them um, to do that future hopping stuff. Yeah. So they're doing future hopping stuff and you can't just have damn... Because he doesn't have the ability to go do anything by himself, really, because he doesn't have the information. Yeah, so and Dan's he doesn't just have... carted along by this boy on some Adam Chang's ship to do pirate stuff. And it's solely so the Doctor and Yaz can have these scenes. like Because obviously mm. Dan can't be there to have the scenes. So Dan is treated like a story obstacle for the entire hour. Yeah. And there's no urgency from him to go work out what these sea devils are doing. Yeah, he's just like, well, I've got nothing else to do. Like he has, he's not a motivated character for any of this story. No, none he of them. Doesn't are. have a reason to be there. No, I. He calls Die at the end. Frankly, I thought they'd have just said that Die was dead and never explained it. I thought that would be a chibnall thing to do. I guess it's nice that Die's alive. Yeah, it. But that, but that like little half scene was almost like a desperate attempt for Chibnall to remind us he's he's a character. He's a character. I haven't forgotten. I haven't forgotten about him. Don't worry. Even though he's forgotten about him for forty five minutes before it, yeah. And he's put him in a stupid costume and said, "Oh look, it's funny." And then he's made him kill five sea devils with a cool swimmer because it's funny. Can I also just say something? That scene at the beginning when they go, "You dressed him like in like a fool," could have been funny. Hmm. I don't know why, but it's played so unnaturally. Yes, it feels really odd. It feels really half-arsed as well. Like, I know it's scripted. I, it's a scripted drama. It's very obviously scripted. But it just felt so scripted. I think was... one of the issues that John Bishop's had on Who, and this is, I don't think this is his fault is that I don't think he is a comfortable actor. But he wasn't the issue in that scene, though, because he didn't really say much, realistically. Are you saying the issue is like Yaz and... It's the Yaz and Doctor. Jody's like, having really silted. I don't know what it is. It just feels like there's slightly too much of a pause. They're, sli- they're so slightly too far away. Yeah. Like, like, it feels like something which, if they were kind of coming out of a TARDIS, just kind of having a giggle to themselves, going... Why did he dress him up like that? And then he comes out behind them. It just feels like a discussion they've just had. It's like us spending five minutes in a room with each other. I'm wearing a stupid hat. Mm. Actually, no, let me rephrase that. We're still in a room with me, you, and our university friend. Let's call him Tom. Yeah. I'm wearing a stupid hat. We're having perfectly normal conversation for 10, 15 minutes. And you suddenly go, oh yeah, but Owen's wearing a stupid hat. Yeah, as if you hadn't been wearing a stupid hat for the time before I said that. Yeah, because we've got to assume... Like, those it two... became funny when the script demanded it be so. Like, we've got to expect which they've been stood in the TARDIS together, or at least in relative vicinity of each other. So they would have noticed that mm. beforehand. Like, if they came out of, the, of there just sniggering to themselves and going, he's wearing a stupid suit, why did you do that? You're an idiot. But I mean, the TARDIS is endlessly big with infinite rooms. He could have just been in another room, right? Yeah, yeah, he could have been. But equally, it's only got one exit. 
That is that it does. <laughs> and how would he know it's landed? And Yaz also know which it's land landed. You've got to assume which those two were together as, mm-hmm. while this was going on. But then Yaz goes out with the doctor, and they've only just landed. Yeah, but but I think like not only is that the issue, but I do I do genuinely believe that John Bishop doesn't react naturally to things mm. as an actor. Or I say naturally. I mean, no, no acting is natural by by essence, but it doesn't feel as natural as a, as like a capable actor or someone who's acted for many years would be able to do. Mm. John Bishop is is doing a decent job. I think he's just not a natural at it, and he does feel out of his comfort zone. And I think what isn't helping that is the fact this character does not have pretty much anything to do, yeah, other than be scripted funny, which is not really a John Bishop thing. Yeah, I. I don't think he was a problem in that scene for me. I feel like it was for writing and for direction. Just made it all feel a bit separated and a bit stilted. Mm. He's he's fine as a character, but you have to give him a purpose. Like you have to actually give him a reason to do something. That's that is rule number one of making a character that is that's engaging that you care about because you want them to get to their goal so there is no goal for dan in this episode or, or a com- person who he can bounce off like he had with carvinista because every time he was a carvinista he was perfect yeah that's great but he didn't bounce yeah, off he's got the boy ying keeves absolutely dry yeah he didn't bounce off ying keeves so we just kind of sat with him doing something and he gets to say brooding tones about how his father is dead. Which like, yeah, yeah fair enough. But you got anything else going on? Like, do you, do you got any hobbies? You ever play? Play football? Yeah. You do, do you do something? Yeah. Else other than avenge your father? Actually, on the topic of Dan, it's something which you said earlier. I was going to say when we were recording our quick podcast, but I, quite frankly, we, we didn't have the time. So I didn't really want mm. to go into it and have a debate over it. Him kidding all of the um, sea devils in one swell swipe. I will say, that is funny. It is funny. I did laugh. But it's one hell of a way to just completely remove any danger these creatures can possibly give you. Yes, it does. That, that's, that's, the, um, that's the game you play with, with moments like that. Like You can get a laugh out of it, but it is kind of a cheap laugh. Because what you're giving up is is the feeling of stakes. And if you're trying to come up with something tense, that could entirely undercut your story. I think what's lucky for Legend of the Sea Devils is it never, ever feels tense. So it's yeah. not like it's undercutting anything. But like I feel like if it was just one, like what like what he did with Sontarans when he's looking for Peerhead, mm. that worked. You're looking for Peerhead? That worked because it was one person, take one Sontaran taken by surprise. Mm. But when you... S- got like six sea devils stood in front of you holding their swords you can't then go you're all dead without giving some explanation other than should see my something to his mum which doesn't make much sense yeah should have seen should see my mum like what what like how does that come into it implying that his mother would 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 drop 20 of them i mean that's just the molly weasley cliche isn't it I I accept that when it comes to like doing with frying pans, that's a funny excuse which makes sense. Mm. But where is it? No, he's using a sword. space sword. 
Well, not space sword, a, a sea sword. Yeah. Where's your mum got... Why is your mum dealing with swords? <laughs> does she does she go to historical reenactments on the weekend? Have we just never learned that about Dad's mum? We we only had ten minutes with her, so it would have been nice to have more time. It's such a weird story. Shall, shall we talk about the the Doctor Yaz stuff? Yes. I feel like we need to get into that, and yeah. then we can we then we can like hype about the Centenary if we want. But um, yeah. Do you think, and I asked this last night, but I'll ask you this now, knowing we'll get more depth out of this, how well handled actually is this? Because you said it felt a bit bolted on with the rest of the story. I think, I still stick by what I said last time. The content in there felt good and natural and down to their characteristics. It was a... And I, yeah, and I, I'm inclined to agree with you It was a good way to enable them to both show their feelings towards each other, but with out getting carried away with it for Dr. Can said no because this can go badly which is a good way to deal with it because it means we get that interaction we get to that kind of end to that not sort of an end but you, we kind of get a sort of like a nice conclusion to it but it doesn't feel like it in place in the story that's what I what I mean by saying it's themes bolted on. Yeah, so so you're almost saying that it feels like the story pauses so that this stuff can go on that isn't really relevant to the story, but it's relevant for essentially just Tumblr. It, you know, you know how we had the issue with um, the Village of Angels. The episode yeah. it we had the episode, and then we had the Bell stuff, which just kind of seemed like it was just chucked in at random intervals. Hmm. It's kind of like that, only there's no good story. Well, there's no story going on, really, other than kind of the characters mm. making or, or or exploring this possibility a bit more head on. Yeah. And there's not there's not an awful lot of scenes of it. You know, they have the moment and the Doctor sort of makes this awkward advance and it doesn't quite land and so she looks awkward. And it's like a nice, genuine moment. And then both of them kind of wander in their own time and then you have the beach scene where where they talk about it properly and it's all good like it's all good in isolation and and one thing i will give it credit for is for the first time probably in the chibnall era i felt that the doctor and yaz were real people mm. like that genuinely might be the first time i felt that since chibnall came in that the doctor was a real character yes uh, this is a big point I'm going to make, but but run run with me on this. I think the problem with the Chibnall era of Who is that because it's a female Doctor, Chibnall has written her to be absolutely flawless because because she has to be brilliant because because she's a woman and therefore by extension she can't be a flawed character and you, and you see this in a lot of other things. I, and it just, it never feels like they ever give her any flaws. And so there's nothing to root her for because you know she's always going to succeed. It was nice for her to acknowledge that she had pain and acknowledge that she had flaws because then that makes you root for the character. It makes you think there's a rounded person with emotions and feelings and fears and doubts. I, because in the, the past three series, I've never felt that off Jodie's Doctor. And that's to do with the writing. I disagree but in a more nuanced way than you're probably going to expect. Okay. So I think she is shown to be have flaws and be damaged in these particular ways, but the story never gets affected by it. 
I mean, in the, in this case, the story doesn't get affected by it either, really. No. I think she does have flaws. Like, like we had it in this story here. We've got the fact which the Doctor spends ages just bumbling out random crap. It's a character flaw. For, for, for Sea Devil goes, you talk to give you time to think. Hmm. There's no impact on the story other than that quick line. But that's the thing. There's no impact on the story from it. Exactly. So, so it doesn't feel like she's ever given any flaws. Yeah, so I feel the like... reason I think it works in the Dr. Yaz stuff is it, feel, it feels like it has an emotional mm. impact on the character. Maybe not on the story, but on the character that would be lasting. Yeah. I, I think she is given flaws, but I don't think the stories allow her to be affected by them. Maybe that's maybe that is half true, but I think that the same problem remains, which, mm. whichever view you take. Oh yeah, yeah. No. Is is that it's always felt a bit too? Look how great I am, and you know, oh look at me, I'm the thirteenth Doctor. I'm incredibly happy and jovial, and I get myself into scopes, but it's fine. I just get out because I do. Yeah, I feel by what almost feels like sheer dumb luck. I feel like. For times when she has been affected by stuff like that, I'm thinking like the haunting or Villa Diabati, whatever. Villa Diabati. Hell, that episode name is like towards the end of that when she does get dark, it gets good, but it never happens again. And yeah, you, you just we've never been able to explore it. So it was it was nice to have the moment. I I also do feel like on the subject of Yaz. And I said before in the airport special that it's kind of a cheap way to give her a character to, to make her interested in the Doctor now, which is, I still think feels bolted on and they should have really built this up properly as an arc if they wanted to do it because they've not built it up as an arc. Uh, they've just, just sort of thrown it at us. Is what I was saying earlier. It's like, it doesn't feel like it's for time to be doing this stuff. No, it doesn't feel earned. It, it's fine and it's fine in terms of how it's going and I think it's working, but but it doesn't feel earned and... And it's definitely come too late to try and develop this mm. now. But it's made Yaz feel a bit more of a character. I mean, I've I've gone on and on and on about how I don't feel like Yaz is really a character. And in many ways, she still isn't. I still don't really see what she did in this episode because she doesn't make a single choice of her own. Yeah. She just she just follows in behind. I mean, and even when she makes kind of a slightly more direct advance to the Doctor, which is the, the joke to say, oh, that's a character choice, right? It just gets flat out turned down. Mm. So in reality, she has no power in it. She's just sort of told, oh, I understand what you want and here's my reasoning, but no. And and so she doesn't do anything in the story. And I, and I can't think of many stories, but she hasn't done anything. Yeah. It, I think it's a general Chimnall issue. He doesn't like... He likes stories, but he doesn't like characters. Mm, that's a great that's a great line actually love he loves a story loves plot cannot stand characters yeah he doesn't like he's got these really good complex stories but then he shoves characters in there and just doesn't quite know what to do with them and he doesn't know how to actually tell the stories he comes up with like they're like they're good as like a finished product yeah. like i think oh that was cool at the end but but the, the it's like this one here. You the can, way he gets you there is so lazy. It's like this one here. If you gave it to me in a, like a one sentence synopsis, it sounds amazing. Yeah, right. China, the 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 nineteenth century, sea devils, the Doctor and Yaz having emotional problems. This is there's good stuff. 
but he just you can work with doesn't know how to deal with the characters which then means the story can't move anywhere well he doesn't know how to deliver plot he doesn't know how to deliver the plot he doesn't know how to order the plot he doesn't make he's never done a good twist in his life there are just huge problems with the way Chris Dibble tells stories. Like we just we just exposit the story. We don't actually go through it. Owen's got his hand up. Yes. I just want to say he can do good twists. He can do good plot twists. He can do good cliffhangers. But he can only do the first half of those things. Yeah, he can't he can't follow them through. Like when the doctor gets turned into an angel at the yeah. end of the village, and we came out away thinking, that's a really good cliffhanger if they resolve it, and they never really do. Yes. They just wipe it away with some bullshit in the first few minutes, like we knew we would. Right, before we go on to the next time mm. um, discussion, I wanted to discuss something with you. Okay. Viewing figures. Viewing figures. I've not seen the viewing figures for Sea Devils, so I, I can't comment on them. Shall I tell you them? This will be my genuine first reaction to these viewing figures. I won't tell you for numbers straight away. I'll just give you a bit of hype. <laughs> a bit of hype for the numbers? Yeah. It was beaten by a rerun of the Ant- oh my God. Antiques Rose Show. It got beat by Antiques on two? Yes. Which got 2.26 million. Wow. Well, Antiques got 2.26 million. Yes. That, that is that is absolutely shocking. Doctor Who got 2.20. 2.2 million mm-hmm. watched Who Live mm-hmm. in the UK? Yes. If, if Russell T Davies had delivered 2.2 million, I've... I think he'd have I think he'd have blown up. I think this is what I'm If Moffat had delivered two point two million he'd have blown up. This is what I think this is what I'm just about to go into. A T V landscape has massively changed since Rusty Davis and That's true. And even Moffat. So that's I don't think comparing them is fair. Num- Not directly. Number two. This is what people seem to be doing and like it annoys me a lot. An episode on overnight figures getting 2.2 million is not a showcase of the quality of that episode. No, it's not. It's never is. Because if there's no, re- it's just going to be people who just tune in to watch it. What will be interesting is the um, seven day figures when word of mouth goes around. I think. Yeah, once and then the iPlayer figures. I think what this shows, rather than the quality of the of the the episode is how poor the quality of the marketing is and how I don't even think for for Dalek was that bad but it it's also quality particularly in the seasonal run it's the quality of the episode before yeah it is I look I know you say it's not directly comparable between Davies and Moffat and you're right but if you compare it with other BBC drama that that gets similar investment or less, mm. that's shocking. Even against the BBC's own output, and the BBC's own output 
isn't having the best viewing figures at the moment. That is... If that was a new drama on BBC One and that was the launch, it would never get a second series. It wouldn't ever go close. With the kind of budget Who demands hmm. to make, it, it wouldn't ever be considered that it could get a second series. That would be talked about as an absolute disaster if it was a new programme. Yeah. With that sort of a budget. But, but to give it some context... There's no way to spin that. But to give it some context, the highest figures of the night were only three million more. What did get the highest viewing videos of the night on? Uh, Britain's Got Talent opening night. Britain's Got Talent. I mean, even Britain's Got Talent getting five million is is pretty bad. And that, that's, um, that's when you consider what BGT used to get. But I also think that's when you need to start considering the context of the day, because it was a very sunny day. It was an Easter bank, Easter Sunday, so you were going to be with your family. Yeah. We but were you, with you our family. Think to yourself. It, I know, obviously, terrestrial television is dying and we can go on about this all we want. But families are together. I mean, in both of our instances, we were with our families and, and, and it just never, no one ever seemed to be interested. Uh, it's not, yes. terrestrial dying it isn't the whole picture. Have you heard the picture about streaming? Go on. That, You're going to have a long conversation about the state of television now. <laughs> I'm up for that. Um uh, for people who own online subscriptions is going down as well. Mm. So, I think TV might... Death of television full stop. I, I don't... I don't think it is. I think it's just viewing habits are changing. I understand people might be getting a bit annoyed with how many different subscription services there are now. Netflix is... I've, yeah, that was always inevitable. I, I Netflix had to when they started to saturate the market. Three years ago. Yeah. Netflix has started to increase its prices to stupid degrees. Yeah. For less content as well. I want to point that Netflix really doesn't have any other content now than its originals. And its originals aren't particularly... I'm not, like, hugely hyped to watch them. So what we're saying, essentially, is that we need to sell off Channel 4 so it can become more like Netflix. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So... Yeah, I'm not even getting into Thor. That that's a that's I would do a podcast. I would do a special podcast if listeners actually cared enough about this thing on on Thor because that that is a conversation that needs to be had. Why they're privatizing that, I will never fucking know. Before he rants about that for uh, as a forty minutes, let's move on. Several hours. Let's, let's, I could do. Let's move on to, I think, the biggest elephant in the room, which shows how much of a disappointment this episode was. The fact which everyone is talking about for next time rather than the yes. episode itself. Look, it's, it's, it's Doctor Who's fault because they made a good trailer and they didn't make a good episode. But it's a good trailer. <laughs> yeah, it looks epic. I think I know it's going to let me down. I know it's going to let me down. But but, but the thirty second teaser is good. It's got it's got so many things you want. I wish they didn't give away which both Ace and Ace and Tegan were coming back. I wish they didn't. Oh, I, I agree with you on one hand because it, it's not as good for the story. But I also think that who is in a pretty tight spot, and I think they needed to pull mm. that out. Yeah. I think they needed good news to get people interested again but does this mean because Chimnall is we we're saying which Chimnall's not very good at twists he's very good at keeping things secret does this mean we're going to have more companions come back I did it I, I did read speculation on Twitter about this I wouldn't rule it out and I hope I hope 
that that's true. But at the same time, I remember we mentioned it in the airport special. It's a ninety-minute episode, so you don't want to you don't want to stuff it with too much. I've just realised to the point where you don't have any real development. I've just come up with a theory of what this episode is going to be, and I hope it is because it could be really fucking good. Yeah. Doctor spends the entire episode captured. Her old companions need to team up to try to save her. Could work, but then on a Doctor regeneration episode, the Doctor does nothing but wait to be saved. That feels a bit cop-outy to me. Well, I mean, she could still be doing stuff, but I feel, but that's going to be a fun way to get all, all the companions back. It's a Doctor regeneration story. Really, we should be focused on the Doctor. What it shows, the fact they're having to get old companions back in a Doctor regeneration episode, is how uninteresting this Doctor is. That we're having to pull people back from, from 40 years ago, in the case of Tegan. It's been 40 years, and they're having to wheel her back out of the closet with cobwebs and all, and clear her off and dust her off and bring her out, because there's nothing else going on. Yeah. As much as I'm happy she's back, it just shows that that they feel like they need to distract you because the characters that you're meant to care th- about, you don't. I think the question's going to be what if we do see that story, once we can sit down and watch it, will be a question of how much of this is fan service and how much of this is story. Oh, yeah, just thinking that. If, if they find a way to make it really satisfying the story, good on them. If they don't, which I suspect they won't, um, and it's a fan service thing, like you said then it's just going to distract from what the story should be about. I, I feel like if there is an element of the companions having to team together to try to get the Doctor out of some sort of scrap, I feel like it could work. I do agree with you that it could be more companions, just because this is, um, for those of you who don't know, this special's being made for the BBC's centenary. It's 100 years old this year, and they've made Who the big grandstand thing, as it's their longest-running show. Mm. So you would think it would be a celebration of, of whose history as well as, I guess, the BBC's history, subtly. Oh, I know they won't, but I really wish it was a Doctor Who story about the formation of the BBC. Imagine <laughs> <sighs> that, a regeneration episode. The Doctor was killed by the BBC. How meta. <laughs> I mean, they've already done the meta stuff with David Bradley. I, I... We can't go back to meta stuff. Not in a regeneration episode. I mean, wasn't that um, thingy's regeneration episode? Yeah, I know David Bradley was in that, but he was, like, genuinely Hartnell. Like, it wasn't meta. Like, he was doing Hartnell. Yeah. I still think that entire... It wasn't about the meta production of Who in that way. It was was a big reference, obviously, to history, but it wasn't, like, a meta to the production. I don't think it should be a meta relation to the production. I feel like it should be relation to the BBC. But that would be incredibly better. <laughs> it can't be as meta as them showing in the Remembrance of the Daleks, the fact which Doctor Who is on the telly. All right, yeah, that's phenomenally meta. Uh, <laughs> you know, sometimes I wonder, you know the people who, in production design who, who come up with these Easter eggs and put them in and think, oh, that's brilliant, and people rightfully applaud them for putting in the effort. Do they not realise the amount of problems that causes canonically when they put that stuff in? Because then you have to question, is it, is it on TV everywhere? Is it widely accessible? Do they have different episodes to us? Yeah. I always do that thing where they start talking about different actors and when they bring in actors and they go, 
Wait, so does that mean which that actor doesn't exist in this world because he's playing this character? Exactly, yeah. You, have, you think about it canonically in the show as to what yeah. it means. I guess I, I guess because it's been running for 60 years, the, the wise thing to do, of course, would just be to, to ignore the canon and enjoy it. We are nerds and we don't enjoy things, and so therefore we're going to, so we're going to talk about the canon until it dies, until until Chibnall completely breaks it. And until and we end this podcast episode. He's already destroyed the universe, so... And let's put an end to the podcast episode before we ramble on any more about speculation. Yeah, and we could. So, what would you give Sea Devils now? Then, now you've had twenty four hours to to compress. Probably a five. Yeah, go slap bang in the middle because it's not as bad as some Flux episodes. It has story. I don't feel like there's a full. As I'm saying, it's a hollow story with not much underneath the surface, but there is story there. I'm still going to give this a six and be nice because I, because I think it's a serviceable story, mm-hmm. serviceable without being anything more. And the Doctor and Yaz stuff is a positive. Mm-hmm. It does feel bolted on, but it is a positive. So it's just about in the good. Just it has positive energy as opposed to, you know what I mean? Like like it's yeah. on the right side of the bar as yeah. opposed to the the wrong side. Um, so it's just about good. But it isn't much better than that. And and the fact is, the centenary now has got a big problem because everyone's expectations are now really high. And when expectations are high in the last four years, what have they done, Owen? Been met absolutely perfectly. That is correct. In a world we do not live in. But sadly, we live in this world. So, And in this world, you've got to subscribe. <laughs> sadly, to, we live in this world. And in this world, you need to subscribe and listen to this amazing podcast. If you want to get in touch, you can tweet us, Black Archive Pod, or you can email us, blackarchivepod at gmail.com. Please remember to leave some reviews, some star ratings, and all that fun jazz. Yes, uh, wherever you're listening, <laughs> do do keep listening. We have other episodes if you've just come across us uh, trying to get some Sea Devils reactions. We do Classic Who. We've done near enough two Doctors now, so you can uh, trawl back and uh, click on any of those if you've watched one and are particularly interested. Or a title just looks good and you think, oh, that might be funny. Probably will be. We're there. Have a click around. What episode do we you suggest? We will be back soon. What episode do, yeah. they, do you suggest they go back and listen do to? Do I suggest? Yeah. Uh, we, um, we haven't got to... Is there any, are there any sea-themed ones we've done in the classics recently? Because I wouldn't recommend Fury from the Deep because it's not a very good it's not out episode. Yet either. We haven't edited it yet. Um, I don't think we have. I mean, like, the obvious one would be Marco Polo, but we also haven't done that because it's not an intact episode. Yeah, because it's a lost episode. I'd recommend Evil from the Daleks, just so you can all find out about one remarkable man. I won't tell you anything more. <laughs> right, so, so if that... Let's bring this episode to an end. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye, James. See you later. Goodbye.